warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Hello and welcome to Gag Impressing, the Bundesliga podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn. Joining me, as always, is Chris Williams. Chris, how you been? Bryce, very well, thank you. Um, Super Cup this weekend, so the fee- season is officially back. Uh, Pokal coming up soon, and then the return to action on the 19th, so I'm super happy. Yeah, very exciting indeed. Feels like a lifetime since we've had uh, games back with us uh, here in the Bundesliga, but um, yeah, we're all very excited, aren't we? Joining Chris and I, as always, is Manu Vett. Manu, how has your week been? Yeah, pretty good. I'm um, very busy, as always. I mean, the season is getting underway now. We had the Super Cup. A um, very exciting game. Um, lots to talk about, I guess. And Chris, it's actually August 18th, so one day less until... Like, of course, sorry, some. that's me being purely selfish. I forgot about the Friday night game. Sorry, we're, Bayern. It's going to be a big Friday night game, too. So something to look forward to. 12 days, and we're back in action. That's it, Byron versus Bayer Leverkusen. We cannot wait. Eh? But it's not just the three of us this week. Uh, we've got a very special guest on here in John McKenzie. John, thanks very much for coming on. Um, and just uh, yeah, Do you want to explain to our listeners, they don't already know who you are, um, what, what exactly you do? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> I'm a freelance journalist. Um, I generally follow English football, but um, I have in the last few seasons been growing uh, deeper and deeper into Borussia Mönchengladbach uh, as a team. And so I am this season making a huge effort to um, really write more about German football, uh, mainly on Gladbach. So that's me. Yeah, and thank you very much for coming on. And I'm sure we'll have you on at different points uh, throughout the season um, to talk um, Gladbach and certainly more. But uh, guys, let's get underway. Um, as Chris said, um, Super Cup uh, was yesterday. Byron came out on top again. This one went to penalties, uh, two all. Um, though a bit of controversy there, Chris. Um, yeah, t- take us through the game. What what exactly um, are we referring to? Um, video referee assistance, right? Yeah, it's uh, Bayern's MVP. Um, probably will be Bayern's M- MVP for the next season. Uh, the video assistant referee uh, can't spot an offside uh, when it clearly is. Uh, that's me being a little flippant. Um, yeah, VAR was instigated, wasn't it? And um, from the television angle we've given, um, Kimmich looked offside, or if he is onside, it is inconclusive from the view we've got. However, because of the way the DFL are pushing it out, we can't see any other angles. So uh, the angles are available um, and the video referee will have seen uh, up to, I think it's three or maybe four different angles. We only saw the one. um, The broadcasters aren't allowed um, to show the other angles. So the host broadcaster was um, ZDF. They weren't allowed to show the uh, other angles that were were on so the rest of the world weren't able to see so it looks from the outset that there was a VAR error um, and it was a telling one Um, and ultimately it it sort of pushed the game a closer game um, and and maybe who knows what happened if it wouldn't have gone in also there was a call for VAR for the second buying goal I don't think that was as controversial Um, so but for the 
for the first Bayern goal, yeah, VAR was at the centre. Um, it was it was an odd one. Um, but don't let that detract from the game. The game was fantastic. It was very fast. It was very flowing. Um, both sides attacked well. I'll say that both sides probably defended a little bit ropey at times. Um, but it's the first game of the season. You'd expect both teams to sharpen up from there. But I was particularly impressed with the speed of uh, Dortmund's attack, um, especially via Dembele down the right. Uh, we all know what a fantastic player he is, but maybe I'd just not seen his speed for a couple of months and maybe it shocked me again to see how fast he was. Um, but yeah, the, the, all the surrounding was that uh, VAR in the Bundesliga would be considerably different from the Confederation Cup. Um, and on the outset, it sort of, for me, failed its test inside the first 20 minutes. And Manu, what was your opinion on the on the whole video referee situation? Do you see it being um, rather problematic this season? I mean, obviously during the uh, Confederations Cup, it didn't exactly get the uh, well the best response. We've seen quite a few issues there as well, uh, and you were there to to witness it. Yeah, for me, the biggest problem is the transparency, and um, the DFL or actually the DFB Helmut Krug he admitted today that the technology actually failed. The, they were supposed to have an extra camera angle which shows the lines on the field and they, it didn't work for them. So they had to guess. And the DFB and the DFL are big on saying that they guessed right. I, I've seen no different angles. Uh, I'm, I would say it's tight. <laughs> um, I have seen pictures where Kimmich looks offside. I've seen pictures where he looks onside. I guess it depends uh, where the line was drawn and who drew the line. I think that I'm personally for VAR, um, but it's very hard to defend the system right now, having seen it at the Confederations Cup. And the Confederations Cup was very different because a lot of times referees used it didn't know what they were doing and that's because you know they were schooled for two weeks before the tournament um didn't have a dry run the bundesliga it's now been running offline for a season but yet you know it, it is kind of unfortunate that 18 minutes into which is supposed to be you know the season opener um it fails you know and it, it, it's a technical failure which made the referee guess and they i guess they're sort of unfortunate because they can make it look in a way that they didn't, um, that they got guessed right, but that's because that's the storyline that they're pushing. I'm, I'm not convinced like Chris. I, I think that, um, this could have been easily given offside too. And then it's a very different game. And it's unfortunate because we often have a little bit of a Bayern bonus in games between Borussia Dortmund and Bayern. It just seems, I'm not saying referees are doing it on purpose, but it seems to often go that way. Um, couple DFB Pokal finals, of course, you know, and, um, where, where Bayern were given calls that on any other given day should have gone the other way. So I, I, I think it was a fantastic game, but it's, it's too bad because now we're discussing VAR, right? Rather than what was a fantastic game, a great game. And, um, that wasn't supposed to be the case. VAR was supposed to bring conclusion, uh, and not, Debate, and I guess that's it's great for the purists who were afraid that you know you can't spend your Saturday, Saturday afternoons in the beer garden or in a pub in England and discuss games. Uh, apparently, VAR doesn't take away people just chatting about refereeing decisions, so I guess that's good. But it's it's certainly you know the way it is set up right now. We need we need to make sure the system works, and we need to make sure that the reporters who report on the game were supposed to bring the story about the game to the people, make it understandable. 
get the information. This was not the case at the Confederations Cup, and it was not the case in this game. And we need to make sure that, you know, the system works. And um, those are the things that are just not the case right now. I feel that we're going to have to go to John as well and just um, obviously um, get your opinion on it. I mean, do, do you think it's it's a positive thing? Well, basically, are you for or against uh, the, the video assistance? I'm going to go to to all the panel and ask this for a bit of a yes or no. But, um, yeah, John, what's your opinion on it all? I think my problem with VAR is that before we brought in all this technology to help referees, the referee was the, the book stopped with the referee. So the referee was expected to make decisions and whatever the referee said was final was final. Now, as soon as you introduce something like VAR, what you're saying is in certain situations, you're not going to be able to make good enough calls. And so what we're going to do in those scenarios is we're going to go to this other form of refereeing. And so the actual on-field referee becomes a bit more of a, a gatekeeper for, for some sort of higher perceived referee and i think the problem with that then is that the referee on the field who is supposed to keep the game ticking along as it were is now having to worry about not only what he calls on the pitch but also the scenarios in which he uh, defers to this other var referee off the pitch so i think my issue there is that is that you're one you're not going to get rid of any of the uh, controversies we've, we've seen that's happened enough times now for us to know that that's the case um so i i personally kind of think the easiest way that you could deal with that is just by going back and saying you know what we've yes of course goal line technology is important for us to to overcome and we've seen that that works fine but when it comes to var you've just got to make a decision and say either we're going to go with var and, and we're going to have all this controversy still um or we're going to stick to what we've done in the past i don't think we're, we'll ever get rid of that and um i, I think we we need to stop pretending that var is going to solve all all of our problems so I'm, I'm a little bit more on the negative side there i think so we'll put you down in the no camp will we <laughs> <laughs> uh chris uh, yay or nay to uh to var um goal line technology yes var no um and i say that because football uh, is intrinsically a game that unites the world because whether you play in the alliance arena um, or whether you play on a local park, you play under the same laws. Um, the laws of the game are applicable to a Sunday league game in any country of the world as they are to the a professional game at the highest level. Uh, I think goal line technology was needed because at the very, very top of the game, it, it's imperative that a goal is called yes or no. Uh, VAR, I could quite happily live without. Interesting. Not many people are going for it. Uh, Manu, are you going to say yay or nay? I believe in it, but that's maybe my North American side coming through. You know, I, I live in a country where hockey is, is a huge sport and we have various levels of hockey or professional hockey in Canada and, and not all levels can have, you know, replay. It just doesn't work, right? You can only really have it in the NHL because of the technology. And I think that it needs, VAR is a good thing. It needs, it needs to, it needs to work. And I think it, it gets rid of some controversies. The problem that I have with it right now is execution and tr lack of transparency. And that's really my big worry is that if people don't understand it, they're going to react negatively to it. And the Confederations Cup for me was a great example for that. When, when we on the press box, we're sitting there and we're looking at each other. Like, what was the call? What, why was the call made? Why do we not get the information? 
And I think that's really what the authorities need to understand, that if the reporters are not given the information, they will have contra- controversy. So that's really what needs to be the number one thing about VAR. I say yes to VAR, but it needs to be 100, 100% transparent. Very interesting. Well, I think we have uh, covered VAR in depth. Just before we move on to another topic, uh, Chris, does this give uh, you this result and, and win on penalties for Bayern? Does it give them a mu- much of an advantage going into the season, would you say? Or or is it more or less just a friendly and it can't really be, be counted? It's obviously beating one of your nearest rivals. It can only be seen as a good thing, right? Um, I would say that the reaction... Um, from um, the Bayern circle as being one of joy, which will let me think that maybe there's a little bit of more of a crisis going on when you're ready to celebrate the win of a Super Cup as much as they have. It's probably detracting from a little bit of problems behind the scenes. I'll be interested to see where they are in uh, May. However, uh, I don't think we can blame them for being happy at the same time because you can only win... You know, the competitions you put in uh, the Super Cups, a season opener. They've won it at the Western Fallen Stadium. Um, and I'm, I'm sure they're very happy. For me, I don't know if they would have celebrated it as much as they would have done in other years. But then I think they're a little bit weaker this year. There was a huge sense of relief, Vegas, with Bayern. I, that's that's yeah, something was, I sensed. And that's... Yeah, and I think that's because they've had a horrendous preseason. Yeah. But. As I've spoken to people throughout the preseason, they've gone, oh, Bayern don't look very good. It, in essence, it's a preseason. It's like the German national side. They don't look very good in friendlies. But when we get to a tournament, they go and win it. So um, there's maybe you've got that friendly air around them. Um, and now they're back. We'll see. Um, I, I don't think they will win the league this year. Come in, uh, bold statement, I know, because we've not mm. even got to that yet. Um, I think they'll be pushed heavily and they will be uh, they will be found wanting towards the back end. I think, you know, I think that you're right. This is the preseason and we need to stress that. But they have never looked this terrible in a preseason before. You know, this was some of the games were absolutely horrendous. And they won at the Audi Cup against Liverpool. And yes, Liverpool looked very good, but Bayern looked so bad. They didn't have a single chance in that game. And then the Audi Cup was something that I would go to every year. And this is the first time in the history of the Audi Cup that they didn't go to the final. They would always do very well at this tournament because it was the showcase, right? It was where they would present the new signings. They would show the rest of the world, but bring in these super clubs from around the world and beat them and win the trophy that they are, you know, they're Bayern. That's, it's very important for Bayern. A lot about Bayern is ego. And that is the most important thing about the club. And it works for them because they always win, but. I feel like that ego is damaged right now. And that's why that Super Cup, and they weren't great in the Super Cup either. You know, Dortmund um, is still the team that's trying to find itself and is, is developing. And um, under Peter Bosch is playing a very different style of football. And you, you could see that that's going to look great in a few months. But there's still some weaknesses about it. And they could have easily lost this game, um, very easily lost this game, you know. And I think that... Th- they, I, I personally think that Bayern are in crisis. I think there's a lot of things going on behind closed doors. And from what I hear from Munich, um, it's, it's a little bit chaotic right now. And there's a little bit of uncertainty right now. And then we'll talk about uh, Reschke in a moment, but him leaving shows that not all is well. And I think that you could, you could sense that they needed this win, but I would be curious to see where they're going to be at uh, in 12 days when they play Bayer Leverkusen. 
Well, guys, we're going to move on. It's going to be an interesting year, and that's a bold statement by Chris Williams. I uh, second that, see. by the way. I second it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, John, do you reckon Byron are going to win the league? Ooh, I mean, I think it's going to be an interesting season for sure um, because of all this stuff going on. I think that there's going to be more competition at the top of the table than there has been for a while. I think there are teams who are looking very, very good. Um, Gladbach, who we're going to talk about, included. And I think um, it will be only a good thing for the Bundesliga, for, for Bayern to have a weaker season. So I certainly hope that, that Bayern ha- have a bit of a struggle this season. Um, but that said, I think I mean, you could argue that Dortmund have struggled a little bit in pre-season as well. So maybe there's going to be a bit of a levelling at the top. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it would be a fantastic thing for the league. Uh, and I would like uh, Bayern to not win it but I I just see Byron being too strong I, th- I think they'll win it again this year but moving on oh you let, just jinxed talk- them Bryce that's good <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> which wouldn't be, wouldn't be a bad thing right but anyway we're going to move on we're done with that now uh, we're going to talk about Stuttgart yes the uh, newly promoted side of the Alfsteigers um, have just come up and they've, they've made a few changes they, this week they've uh, fired their sporting director and put in a new one a new one in Michael Ruschka from uh, Bayern Munich uh, John do you feel that um, Stuttgart coming up and making this sort of change is their statement to you know, to try and say yeah we're, we're still one of the big boys of German football yeah I think that's ex- exactly what's going on um, we were talking before we started recording this pod and, and uh, Manu was saying he was really keen on what uh, Schindelmeiser, who is the sports direct, sporting director who's just been fired by the club, he was really excited by what he was doing. And, and I must concur with that because what we've seen in the last season in particular was RB Leipzig coming up uh, and Ralph Rangnick, as we've seen, having this uh, youth, youth at first policy and it really working. And RB Leipzig took, they took, um, Bayern all the way to the to the midpoint of the season and and certainly scared them. So I think it it's certainly an interesting move from uh, from Stuttgart, and I'm not entirely sure that it's going to work. It's it's it seems as though they are trying to be Bayern, and and as we've said, like the best club at being Bayern is Bayern. So I can't imagine that it's going to work out for them. Yeah, so I mean. Well, we'll go to you, Manu. What, what do you make of this? Do, do you agree with John that they're trying to be Byron and Bede? You guys agreed that you didn't exactly think that this was a great move. Well, I think it's it's not a great move. I think it's it's a move that has a lot of risk. And John is right; they are tr- trying to be Bayern. And you know, I, I said off the pot, they should be Bayern because of the way Stuttgart is as a city. It's it's the second richest city in Germany behind um, Munich. It's a very financially wealthy city with the two car makers, Mercedes um, and Mercedes and Porsche being located there. And there's banking companies, there's insurance companies. It's very wealthy, right? It has Stuttgart, and we talked about this um, a few weeks ago. They averaged fifty-one thousand fans a game in the Bundesliga two last season. You know, they're a massive club, a huge club. But the problem was with them always is that they they tried to be. They try to compete with the big boys, but being the big boys and to make big money signings and those big money signings didn't always work out for them. So, you know, John is absolutely right. Trying to be Bayern doesn't always work because you, if to be like Bayern means that you are going out and you spend 50, 60 million euros on a player. But only Bayern really can do that. Dortmund can do it too, but even they, they wouldn't because, you know, they, they, they're targeting, they have a very different transfer policy. 
So I think Schillenumais are going and there was huge changes made to the structure of the club with Mercedes-Benz becoming a shareholder, with the club being turned into um, a closed joint stock company and um, investment coming in. And I think Schindelmeiser was very smart bringing in players like Shatrak, Akolo, Anastasius, Donis, um, Mangala, Aiel Don, uh, Burnish from Borussia Dortmund, all young guys. You know, the the only old player that he signed was Ron Robert Zieler uh, from Leicester City, a very good goalkeeper who's age 28. But if you take his his signing out of the equation, um, the average average player was as 21 years old of the players that he brought in. And that's because he believes in the same philosophy that Ralph Rangnick believes in, that you you do should not sign players under the age of 24 if you play a certain style of football because their um, hard drive is already hardwired, right? You can't teach them new things. And Schindelmeiser comes from a school and he signed a coach who was very successful for Stuttgart last season and Hannes Wolf, who also comes from that school, a 36-year-old coach who plays a fantastic brand of football, who needs young players. Now, Stuttgart Sport decided that they want to compete right away. Um, I guess their goals are very lofty. And um, they wanted to sign Holger Bartstuber on a free transfer. Now, Schindelmeiser was opposed to this because Bartstuber showed last season playing for Schalke. And remember, he had three knee surgeries in the last two years that he lacks speed. And Schindelmeiser believes that speed is the number one requisite to win in the Bundesliga. And Leipzig showed that that's the case. You need to have fast players. So he was opposed to it. And that's really where things came to a boil. Um, Schindelmeiser, who is, who was part of the board, um, said that he was the only one in charge of transfers and he opposed the Bajduba signing. The club then, um, found out that Reschke was very unhappy at Bayern München and, um, contacted Reschke and got a positive. And then I guess decided to sign Bartstuber, uh, over the head of Schindelmeiser and Schindelmeiser then decided that he would, you know, take this to a boil and, um, you know, was pushed out of the club. And that's really where, where we're at right now. We're basically 12 days away from the Bundesliga. Um, they're bringing in a guy who signed, was used to signing players for 40, 50 million euros for Bayern München from South America. Um, and now is supposed to finished the squad, you know, as a squad manager um, in the 12 days left to the Bundesliga season. I personally think that's a huge risk. Um, Manu, do, do we know what hands uh, Wolf, what he makes of uh, the transfer of Batsuber? I mean, is, is he a fan of you know, young, rapid players as, as well? You know, do you think he'll get much of a chance under him? Well, I know that... And this is really what's going to be interesting to me. How is he going to look at this? Because he worked with Schindelmeiser quite well. And Schindelmeiser brought him in. And it was a controversial move back in Bundesliga 2 when Hannes Wolf was signed. But he, Hannes Wolf very quickly turned around the boat and got Stuttgart not only promoted, but actually won Bundesliga 2. And it's a very difficult league to win. And remember, he, Borussia Dortmund was sniffing around um, during the summer and was looking at bringing Hannes Wolf back because that's where he originally came from, right? He was with uh, Borussia Dortmund's U19, right, Chris? So they were looking at bringing him back. And it's 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 curious now. I, I'm, I think there's it's a little bit of a um, cauldron is maybe the wrong word, but it, something is at the boil. And I'm really curious to see how Reschke is going to approach that. If Reschke, Reschke will, in my opinion, will have to come out right away and support Hannes Wolf as the coach. and um, 
will have to move very quickly to finish, you know, Stuttgart's squad building because they still need a right back. They don't have one yet. And um, they need to bring at least another midfielder and maybe another striker. Chris, uh, how do you see Stuttgart getting on this season? Um, obviously, plenty of uh, changes like this, plenty of signings. But we we kind of mentioned at the end of last season that we believe that Stuttgart are a big enough side uh, to come up to the Bundesliga and stay in the Bundesliga. Where where do you think they're aiming for this year and what would be classified as a good season? Um, I think anything above the bottom three would be classed as a, a good season for them. But where do I see them going there? I'm going to base it historically um, on where they've been in the past and most definitely on last season. I thought they were excellent last season. I managed to do earlier, you know, they're a big club. They have fantastic support. They've got a bigger average gate in the second Bundesliga than some of the biggest teams across Europe um, in Europe's top five leagues. Uh, and you can include the Premier League on that as well. Uh, they will be backed by a, a furious um, support I think it'll be a cauldron. The stadium will, I can see them finishing mid table and being happy with that. Uh, maybe eighth or ninth. I, I probably don't think they could get into European slot, but anywhere between ninth and 13th, I think would be an excellent start for them to cement themselves back in the Bundesliga for a second season and then build on that from there. Um, we talked at great length last year with the two sides that have gone down, Ingolstadt and Darmstadt and the two sides that have come up, um, the league is exceptionally strong and there was a giveaway in kicker this week, wasn't there, where you could slide um, the badges up the table to see where they go. And um, pretty much at the moment, at the bottom of the league for me is Augsburg. Uh, they're, they're the weakest in the in the league. And then after that, it's, well, it could be anyone from anywhere. The league's fantastically strong. Yeah, even I'm even looking at the table now and to predict who's going to go down this year, oof, that's, that's going to be... Hard work, but yeah, you're maybe maybe not done a bad prediction there, really, Chris. But um, I'll, go, sure... I'll be even more bold, Bryce. I'll say Augsburg and Mainz, um, and then Ooh. one from the other tight again. I second oh. Augsburg, but I'm biased. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are. We all know that. <laughs> but um, yeah, we're not going to go into predictions there just uh, now. We've got John on here, obviously a Borussia Mönchengladbach specialist. So let's talk about Gladbach. Uh, Chris and John this week uh, went to see them, or well, just on Friday night there, uh, play a Leicester. Uh, John, uh, how was the game? How did how did um, Gladbach look? Were you happy with the performance? Yeah, it was an interesting game. They Gladbach came out really strong in the first half. I thought they controlled the game uh, pretty much for the whole of the first half, um, and probably should have scored in the first half, but but didn't manage to. Um, they, they looked really good on the ball. They they moved the ball around. They play a play fairly functional four four two at the moment. Um, but they had Raphael and um, Lars Stindl up front, and both of those players like to drop in quite deep. And so I think what and, and this is a, a theme that I've sort of been raising in in a, a lot of my preseason previews. Um, they look as though they're getting into really good forward positions, but there's no one in in dangerous areas really to finish them off um, and there's been there's been a fair amount of uh, questioning about whether or not getting rid of Andrea Hahn um, in the in the mid-season was was a good move so uh, after the second half very early on they scored the goal and then very soon after that uh, Tobias um, Strobel, Strobel came got injured quite badly um, and actually after that happened I think the the Gladbach team sort of dropped off quite a lot 
Um, now, Leicester did bring on some strong subs at that point, but I think they probably were affected by the in- injury. Um, I think it was a meniscus tear and an ACL tear as well so he's going to be out for the for the season and I think that had a big effect on on the the team because as soon as that happened um, Leicester started looking more and more dominant now they brought on some quick players and I I think my big criticism of Gladbach in pre-season is that when they have been undone it's been times when they've been driven at uh, the central defenders by quick players so um, Kelechi Ihenaccio who's just been signed by Leicester broke through for one of the goals and the other goal was uh, and squared it to Jamie Vardy and then Jamie Vardy himself broke through for for the other one so I have certain questions about how how strong they're going to be against very very quick defenders uh, quick attackers so I'm a little bit nervous when we hear you know this this um, penchant for for really quick players going into the Bundesliga uh, season yeah and Chris so may I just ask uh, what your opinion of uh, of Gladbach where um, do, do you see them having a, a strong season um, yeah, I do. I thought they were excellent um, for for his for his age. Uh, Sommer had a fantastic uh, timing goal. He stopped a couple of dead certain goals. Um, I thought Vestergaard played well. Kramer was okay. Um, Hazard obviously scored a fantastic goal. Um, Raphael was everywhere. Um, Stindl, when he was on, I thought he was fantastic as a captain. Um, Vent, um, sorry, Vent scored the goal. He's fantastic goal. Um, I thought Ginter looked solid at the back. Um, and then, you know, the only downside, and John's mentioned it, is when Strobel came on and then went straight off. Um, I thought that Gladbach moved off the ball very well. I thought they had a quick transition. I thought they worked. Um, interplay was excellent. One and two touch passing. It was interesting to see them really hammer the rondos on the warm-up, which, you know, most teams do these days. So, you know, one and two touch passing in a square or a circle, depending on where they are, um, and trying to move the ball as quickly as they can with as minimal touches. But they sort of brought that onto the pitch as well. Um, and, and it was very, very good. Um, I think they were excellent for... 60 minutes and then John's quite right once the injury to Strobel happened I mean it was such a bad injury there was a, a lengthy gap it was probably about three minutes before he was taken off the pitch um, and the fact that Strobel or, sorry the fact that Stindl went off as well it sort of upset the imbalance of, of the side and they definitely took a step back because I think they thought you know what we're right by the start of the season now and none of us fancy that sort of injury that he just got mm-hmm. um, and they were undone but they were undone by a typical Leicester um performance so if anyone who watches the Premier League will see it it's not particularly interesting to watch it's normally a sort of deep ball from the middle um that goes over the top for um Vardy to chase uh, and he had that and obviously Inacho with the, with his speed he was able to combat that I don't think Gladbach will face the sort of test that Leicester gave them because the uh, Bundesliga doesn't seem to play that arching ball over the back four uh, it's normally played on the floor so I think we should be okay um I thought they played very well for, for when they were compassmentous. I think the injury pretty much killed the game for them as a team. Um, and I was lucky enough to get it was about three minutes with Dieter Hecking at the end of the game as well and have a good chat with him about his thoughts for the coming season um, and what he thought. And I also was able to ask him how Strobel was at the time, although it was very early indications. Um, and I believe we've got that on tape now. Yes, uh, so that's it. Chris obviously spoke to Dieter Heckling, and this is what he made of uh, the game, the injuries, and, well, the Champions League draw. Dieter, can you tell us how Tobias Strobel is, early indications? Yeah, we think that it's a knee, a knee uh, injury, and uh, he's now in the hospital, and we have to, to wait for the information. From there. In the first half, your transition was very quick. Your off-the-ball movement was incredible. Are you looking forward to this coming season in the Bundesliga? 
Yes, we hope that we can uh, this uh, about 19 minutes, not only one half. We want to play it uh, two halves. Uh, it was good, uh, good job for my team in the first one hour. After that, uh, we, we uh, don't have the control over the game, but uh, we have two weeks to make it better. And Sommer played very well in goal, a couple of really big saves. Yeah, Jan Sommer is a very great goalkeeper and uh, I'm, I'm glad that he will be stay for us. What's your hopes for this coming season? Are you looking at a top four finish or maybe a Pokal? Yeah, we have. Um, it's uh, it's a difficult uh, tournament in, in the Bundesliga. Uh, there are many teams who want to go to the European uh, places, but we want to stay most uh, of the top. Can I ask your reaction to today's Champions League draw? Obviously, you know Julian Nagelsmann and Jurgen Klopp quite well. Do you think that's going to be a fascinating prospect for a Champions League qualifier? Ah, it's a big game for, for both teams. I think Liverpool is a favourite. Hoffenheim is a new starter in the Champions League, but they have a good team, a young team with a good team spirit and high speed. And uh, I think the, the English fans and the German fans can be uh, hopefully look for this game. Uh, Matthias Ginter, brilliant signing for Gladbach. What's your hopes for him for this coming season? Oh, yeah, I want that he will be... Um, Make a good performance in the in the central. Uh, he's a good player. He's a national player, and he wants to be in the lead. He wants to be a leader in the team, and uh, we we help him with this. And final question: Although you got beat two-one, are you happy with the performance? For one hour, I will be happy. After the, the, the last thirty minutes, uh, I think Vardy was a match winner for Leicester. Thank you very much. Okay, great reporting, Chris. Uh, we've, we've done our two weeks in a row now. We've got to speak to, to coaches. Brilliant news, eh? Uh, but, yeah, John, if, if we just um, go back to you about uh, Gladbach, where do you see them finishing this year? What what would be a good year for them? Do you see them possibly getting into the Champions League? Is is that where their aspirations are going to lie? Well, I'm a pessimist at the best of times. I think looking at the squad and looking at the way they play, they are a very, very solid side. I think they will be able to challenge teams in the top four. Whether or not they'll be able to break into that top four is another thing entirely. And I think for that reason, Vicenzo Grifo is going to be really important in that in that sense because he is he offers something that is what I would call sort of a creative spark. And you know, with Mahmoud Dahoud leaving, they need someone who's going to um, who's going to be able to re- replicate that sort of creativity, and I hope hopefully Grifo will will provide that. Um, but obviously Grifo will be coming in from a wide area rather than a central area, um, and they've got Dennis Zakaria in in the middle, and I think he looks really really good too. So I think if those two players who they've obviously brought in to re- replace Dahoud, if they can really click early on. There's a chance they'll be up, uh, up, up and challenging in the top four. But for me, I think they'll probably finish just outside, maybe fifth or sixth. Well, here's hoping they uh, do push it, make for a very entertaining season. They were, they were fantastic last year when Hacking did take over. But we're going to move uh, over to another side now, which, um, well, had managed to do very well and get into the Europa League uh, qualification, but. Um, fell a little bit short. Um, Manu, uh, Freiburg had a bit of a disaster, didn't they, against Domzali? We kind of uh, predicted that they would they would just about get through, but th- this obviously is bad news for them, um, obviously, because they want to get through, but it's also not good news for the Bundesliga either, is it? No, because we want the German teams to do well for the UEFA five-year coefficient, and um, 
it is a bit of a disappointment to give away, you know, a 1-0 lead from home and to lose 2-0 to Dom Saleh. And uh, this is no disrespect to Dom Saleh, but if you're a Bundesliga side, you got to win this game. And it doesn't matter what stage you are at in season preparation. That's a must-win game. And I know, uh, Chris, you did the previews for both these games for Fußballstadt.com. And you were a bit wary about um, Freiburg and what it would mean for them playing in Europe and at the same time having to navigate um, what's going to be a much more difficult Bundesliga season for them. But at the same time, when you're in the Bundesliga side, you know, the Bundesliga is ranked number two in Europe in the five-year coefficient standings. It's the second best league in the world uh, when you take it by that measure. And if you finish in the top seven in the Bundesliga, you should be able to beat any team from any of the other leagues. You know, um, we're not talking about a big Spanish side here or a big English side or big Italian side that maybe would have taken Freiburg out. We're talking about Enka Dom Sale. And um, the, the prerequisite is that you go in and you win and you win decisively. And I know, again, yes, it's preseason, it's difficult, it's hard and all these kind of things. But I think they, they really look dreadful in this game. And that is something that they will have to revisit because this kind of performance um, is, is going to hurt them. Remember, next week is, is German Cup. Freiburg are in the first round of the German Cup as well. That's... Um, is pretty much now turned into a must-win game for them, you know, to compensate um, for what happened in in Domzale. And I, I think, you know, the this this is the kind of thing that could actually almost, you know, lead to a very poor start of the season. I have seen it many times before, and um, I think that Freiburg need to be very careful. And Freiburg is still looking for players, right? They sold Philipp for 20 million euros to Borussia Dortmund and still looking for, for players to bring them in. And this shows that showed that they really need them. Chris, what did you make of this uh, result? Do you, do you think it's actually going to be good news for Freiburg when it comes to the league? Potentially. Um, I think it would have been better for them had they got through this hurdle and then got through to the you know proper playoffs where I think they all would have gone out because he would have faced some of Euro's better sides. I think mentally it won't be a very good result for them. Uh, for for both previews, I did highlight the fact that they lost uh, Maximilian Philip um, and Vincenzo Grifo. Um, I would say that Grifo is probably the bigger loss for And it looked that. I, I didn't think, especially in the away match, I didn't think they had any sort of coherent play or any sort of teamwork. Um, and I didn't expect them, to be honest, um, to be beaten um, away like that. I thought they they were good enough to get a, a draw um, and go through with the goal they scored um, in their own stadium. Um, and Mano's quite right. They're playing um, Halberstadt uh, this coming uh, week in the Pokal. You know, their uh, Oberliga South side, you'd expect them to breeze past that. But how are they going to be after that, um, after that result away in Slovenia? I don't know if they're going to be in the right frame of mind. Also, if they get into that wobble now, uh, you would say potentially they could be one of the weaker sides in the league, um, especially if they don't start at the level they finished at. And don't forget last season, they played exceptionally, exceptionally fast football. Um, They're very, very unlucky not to beat Bayern when they came back from the midwinter break. It was probably one of the best games I've seen them play 
Um, it was on a half-iced pitch as well. I thought they were fantastic that night. And it was a particularly good night because obviously the league had come back after the break. And I think we were all buoyed by that performance by Freiburg. And they managed to keep that level of play on for the rest of the season. So I am a little disappointed that they went out. Um, I think they were always going to go out anyway. I don't think they had what it take, uh, what it took sorry, to make the uh, Europa League group stages. Uh, I just worry now going out so early, it may be uh, mentally have a more of a detriment to them, especially with Halberstadt coming up. Yeah, definitely bad news in a game that would have, well, really, Freiburg should have been expected to win and go through as Manu and Chris have both uh, pointed out. But we're going to talk about the other European competition in the Champions League. The draw has taken place and, well, Chris, one that you're rather happy about because it's obviously uh, two loves of yours and that's German football meeting Liverpool in Hoffenheim taking on the the Merseyside team. Um, how, how do you see this going? I mean, what a draw. It's huge, isn't it? I mean, I think we kind of knew deep down inside that something like this might happen. And yeah, it's 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 going to be a heartbreak for one of the teams. Oh, yeah. We knew, uh, Julian Nagelsmann knew, came out this week and said, yeah, you know, it's expected. There's only one team we were going to get, and that was Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool. Uh, I think it's going to be a exciting game for um, both sets of supporters. Um, I don't think Liverpool will have it all their own way. Um, I do think, though, they will ultimately be too strong, especially uh, with the loss of um, Sula and Rudy um, to Hoffenheim. I think Liverpool will have just what they need to edge it out, but it won't be a drubbing by chance um, or at all. And I think they will be very strong at home. Uh, Liverpool will do well to get away with the draw there. Um, I just think that the return leg at Anfield will be a step too far for Hoffenheim. Um, but it's a it's a fantastic draw. It's a it's a great draw for the league. Although you would argue, uh, you know, as a Bundesliga writer and Bundesliga observer, that you would want as many Bundesliga sides in a Champions League as possible. Um, unfortunately, I won't be going to the game because I'm in Hoffenheim the Saturday after the Tuesday. So it doesn't make financial sense for me to fly into Hoffenheim, fly back and fly back again, um, or to extend my hire car. So I won't be going to the um, to the home game in Germany. I will be desperately trying to get accredited for the um, away game um, for football grad at Anfield. Uh, it's it's going to be good. Uh, there could be a surprise in there. So obviously, you know, football isn't a, a done deal before the game's gone on. If Liverpool aren't at their best or they don't concentrate. Hoffenheim certainly have enough to hurt them, especially their front line, most definitely. Um, but ultimately, I think Liverpool will just be too strong for them. John, how do you see this one going? Obviously, it's not going to be easy for either of the two teams, right? You know, Nagelsmann's side had a, had a fantastic year last year. And, well, Liverpool finally, almost, uh, are back in the Champions League as well. So, I mean, both, seem, both teams had a fairly good season last year, didn't they? I think this is a really, really interesting fixture, um, not least because, you know, back in 2005, Liverpool had to ease past GAK in the uh, qualifying stages. Now they're facing Hoffenheim, who are a very, very decent outfit, um, entirely different to, to what you might have expected at this stage of the competition. So it's a real shame, I think, that, that both teams can't be in the, uh, get through to the actual group stages of the, uh, the final group stages of the competition. I think this is going to be really interesting as well. I've been really, really impressed with Julian Nagelsmann. I think he's tactically very, very savvy. Um, and what we learned from Liverpool last season was they are beatable if you play them in the right way. And that right way is sitting back, being patient, um, causing, making them come out and win the game. And 
you know, we saw enough times Liverpool fail to to win against poorer sides in the in the Premier League at home at Anfield. So I think Julian Nagelsmann will be thinking, I can just go back, watch these tapes, and really see see what's going to, what's going on there. And I think. Yeah, away from home, as Chris says, it will be a it'll be a tough game for for Liverpool. So you know, you never know. There may be a there may be a bit of an upset here. And Manu, we, we've seen uh, Julian Nagelsmann's uh, sides, you know, managed to beat the big boys before. And you can, do you reckon they can do it again? Yeah, I do think so. Look at what um, the results against Bayern last season, and uh, I know Bayern didn't look great um, for against Liverpool in the preseason. But um, Hoffenheim managed a 1-1 draw at the Allianz Arena last season and then beat Bayern at home 1-0. Um, that would be, you know, if you take that to that Champions League, then that would be enough. And I'm not saying Hoffenheim are necessarily favorites. They're definitely not. Liverpool is a massive favorite in this tie. But I think that Hoffenheim have enough to upset the apple cart. And I think... Most fans, most Liverpool fans approach this and are realistic enough to know that, you know, this is not uh, going to be an easy fixture. It's going to be a very difficult fixture. And I actually think, um, given that this is two teams from two very big leagues, that this is actually a 50-50 game, despite Liverpool's bigger financial power, despite the squad that they have, and despite, you know, the massive name that Liverpool are, they have everything to lose. Hoffenheim has everything to gain. And I think that is a massive factor in, in this game. And I think that that will mean quite a bit. And I think there's another factor coming in here. And I'll, I'll call this the Neymar effect. Um, I think Liverpool are going to be massively affected by the Neymar transfer and in, at least in the rumor mill because of Felipe Cortino. And I, that's going to play out from now till mid August. And it's going to be right in, into this fixture. Um, they didn't, Liverpool didn't get the players that they wanted to sign either. And now they are all of a sudden, you know, in risk. And I'm not saying it's going to happen, but there's that talk and the risk that they're going to lose one of their best players. And that's going to be carried right through this fixture. Hoffenheim doesn't have any of these problems. Their transfers are all done, right? There's, they lost Zule and Rudy, massive loss for them, but I, I'm 100% convinced that Nagelsmann is the kind of coach that just goes and says, oh, we lost these guys. Well, that's too bad, but we're just gonna, do with what we do the best with the players that we've got now. And Hoffenheim have done some smart business and they are their team that comes through the collective anyways. Uh, remember they, they brought in Serge Knabry was one of the best players in the Bundesliga last season, you know, and that's a fantastic player and a fantastic signing. Um, Harvard Norfide is someone that I rate and John, you know, quite well. Right. And um, I think they are a very strong side and they have nothing to lose. Bryce, the the problem that Liverpool have, and it's a problem we saw last season, when you try and play Hoffenheim, you don't know um, what their formation is going to be. If you look back to last season, they played a 3-5-2, then they played a 3-5-2, it was an offensive formation, then they played five at the back and went 5-3-2. At one game against Schalke, they went 3-3-3-1. The next game against Ingolstadt, it was 3-1-4-2. You cannot predict what Julian Nagelsmann's going to do. You cannot predict the way they're going to play. They don't have a definitive style. You can't say, oh yeah, well they play out from the back and then they play through the thirds, um, or they've got a fast transition. We all know how Leipzig play, so there's a Leipzig style of play as a Bayern style of play and there's a you know there's a Dortmund style of play get it to the wings down the wings fast get it over to Aubameyang Hoffenheim do not have a style of play so Jurgen Klopp when he's trying to counter 
um, counterplay, he at the minute is going to have to try and look at maybe three or four sets of counter against um, Hoffenheim. And Liverpool have a, a very descriptive way of playing. So Julian Nagelsmann is clever and he's tactically astute enough to set his um, Hoffenheim side up to nullify that effect, certainly at Anfield. Um, so I think the home game, as all the the home game um, in Sinheim, is the game which will have the key to this. If Hoffenheim get a positive result, I think they they you know they could pip Liverpool. God forbid, obviously, because I'm a Liverpool fan born and bred in the city, and I want to see my team in the Champions League. So for this particular game, I will fly that flag. But it, it, Julian Nagelsmann has the ability to hurt Liverpool badly. Yeah, I completely agree. Obviously, I'm a Liverpool fan as well. So, uh, and obviously, we cover the Bundesliga, so we know all too well about Hoffenheim. And you're right; they they seem to um, manage to pull different formations on numerous occasions. I think the fact that Liverpool are at home and the away game, I'm going to go out there and say it gives them the advantage, and I think they'll just scrape by. Uh, but it's not going to be easy. Uh, Chris, uh, John obviously said, uh, which we. You know all too well uh, that sides that seem to sit deep uh, against us last year, uh, us being Liverpool, um, you know, seem to get a better success. Do you see um, Nagelsmann possibly producing something like that, sitting deep, being patient, and then maybe trying to hit us on the counter? Um, yeah, well, you know, that's what I just said. That's a great thing about him. You, you don't know how he's going to set up, really. Um, he can go if he wants to take it. And like he took it to Leipzig the first game of last season, they went 4-3-3 and it was absolutely fine. Um, and then, you know, he flipped it out of the game after that and he went three at the back and, and it worked. Don't forget Hoffenheim were the um, last unbeaten side in Europe's top five leagues last season. And you don't get that by, um, you know, by luck. There were a lot of draws and we touched on that last season. There were a lot of draws, but um, typically if you want to do well in Europe, you need to either draw your home game um, or potentially win it, but draw or draw your away game. So you don't have to win both legs. Um, you, you know, that's a typical European game would be to win your home um, and draw your away. That is something that Hoffenheim could be capable of. Uh, I, I'm unsure, though, whether he will sit deep. Uh, I'm unsure whether he will almost play a five at the back and then a four in the middle, which has been seen to be Liverpool's problem when teams are trying to um, stop Liverpool from playing. You just sit right back and give them the ball and, and, you know, put either a bank of five. Some teams have gone to two banks of five with the first bank of five on the 18 yard box and the second bank 10 yards in front. And Liverpool have had a really problem breaking that down, really big problem breaking it down. I can't see um, Nagelsmann doing that, but that's not to say he won't. Um, but I do feel that if he tries to go toe-to-toe and play football, they'll get torn apart like Bayern Munich and Hertha Berlin were. Uh, I think Liverpool are that good at the moment. But I think that Julian Nagelsmann is clever enough to know where the weakness lies in this Liverpool team. And this is trying to break down. But saying that, when Liverpool were in Germany um, for the Hertha game and for the Audi Cup, that's all they did in training was working on how to break down banks, two banks of five or a bank of four. Or sometimes when they played Sunderland, they had, they were trying to break down a bank of six at the back. Um, and that's something that they've done this season. So it's going to be a really, really interesting game. Um, and it is going to probably be too close to call, but I, I'm going to call it just based on, on where I was born and how I've been brought up. But there'll be a lot of people saying that, it, you know, Hoffenheim could sneak it. And, and, I can see why they'll say that. And John, if uh, half an hour managed to, to get a win uh, and they, they do go through, uh, what what a you know, a big statement that'll make to the, to the rest of Europe, won't it? 
Yeah, most definitely. Um, I, I, coming back on Manu, he mentioned Havard Norvay, um, who I, I did actually watch a few times at West Ham last season and was impressed with him. But Serge Gnabry obviously was also in the Premier League for a while. And I'm hoping that he gets a stage in Europe to perform on precisely so that people will will, will realise what, what a mistake Arsenal have made in, in getting rid of him. I think he's a fantastic player. I was really disappointed that Gladbach didn't manage to get him on loan. And I think um, I think Nagelsmann's done incredible work getting him playing playing for them. A really, a really explosive player. One of the most I've seen um, and, and certainly playing last season in the Bundesliga. So, yeah, I, I hope that the Hoffenheim go through. I hope that the German football uh, becomes more and more popular and, and getting into Europe, like we were saying, is the way of do, the way that you do that. So that's why it's great if, if Hoffenheim go through, but also a shame that Freiburg didn't actually get through into, into the uh, Europa League as well. Manu, would it be a devastating for Hoffenheim and Nagelsmann if they weren't to go through? Or or do you think... Um, did, do you think that it won't affect them as, as much as maybe, um, I suppose, their opponents? Yeah, I think, you know, Europa League is still a good achievement for them, but it'd be hard for them to get back to the top four in the Bundesliga. Um, I think that there's other sides in Germany that are doing quite well right now and have done very well this summer. And we'll, we'll maybe can touch on that next week uh, as we gear up for the league. But I, I expect someone like Leverkusen and Gladbach and... Um, couple other sides, Schalke maybe even to push. And um, Leipzig and Dortmund, I think, are cemented their place in the top three. So they the the weakest maybe of the top four. But I, I think that Hoffenheim actually have a good chance of going through. And um, I'll definitely keep my fingers crossed that they will. Yeah, very exciting indeed. And we'll obviously be reporting uh, from that as much as we can. And Chris will be trying to get to the game, as will I. Uh, let's see what happens. Anyway, exciting times. But we're going to drop down a league now and speak uh, Bundesliga 2. It was another action-packed uh, weekend. And last week, we obviously had a specialist, uh, Johnny Walsh, on. And we got him to predict uh, the game of the week. He did a hell of a job with it. Uh, Union Berlin won 4-3 against Kiel. What a, what a game that was, eh? Um, so well done, Johnny. He, he certainly does know his stuff, doesn't he? Uh, but guys, the pod's coming out just before the final game of the weekend, which is going to see St. Pauli and Dresden go head-to-head. Uh, Manu, these are two sides that are going to be, well, probably hotly tipped to, to get promotion, right? Yeah, they're, they're in that pack, for sure. I mean... Dresden impressed us last season, right? Um, St. Pauli, of course, is a side that had a horrible first half of the season and then did really well in the second half of the season. And we all, I mean, there's not a person anywhere, except for when you may be a Hamburger SV fan, uh, who doesn't like St. Pauli and what they do. And uh, it's always fun to have them in the Bundesliga, you know, every once, every once in a while it happens that they play in the Bundesliga and it's always good times because they're, they're such an alternative club with such an alternative vision and, um, really a model of how you can build a brand without being heavily commercialized. So that's, uh, that's really great. And Dresden have, um, slowly but surely done that too. Of course, there's some issues with some Dresden fans that, that share political views that are not mine. But I think that Dresden have become a club that, you know, um, is doing good things and, um, especially when it comes to building squads. So I'm, I think this is going to be a fascinating game to watch. I, 
I believe that both sides could have a shot at promotion. That said, promotion and relegation in Bundesliga 2 are very tightly together. You know, you can play um, easily the first half of the season against relegation, the second half for promotion or vice versa. So, you know, it's a tight league and uh, it's going to be a great game. Um, a really fantastic Monday night game to watch. Yes, definitely. And we advise anyone uh, who possibly can to uh, tune in for that one. It should be uh, something special. Uh, Chris, uh, looking at the table and looking at the results that have uh, occurred so far with the Bundesliga 2, uh, Ingolstadt obviously went down last year. Uh, they did put up a bit of a fight towards the end of the season, but they've, they've started the season two games, two losses. Um, things not going so well there. I think it demonstrates just, I suppose, how, how tough that league actually is. Uh, yeah, there's a bit of a paddleborn klaxon going off at the moment, isn't there? Um, you know, dropping down a league and then down a the league again. So we're only two games into it, um, but it doesn't look that good for them. So um, yeah, the, yeah, the table at the moment we're only two games two games in, um, but I'm unsurprised to see Union Berlin up there. I think they will be challenging, especially um, Johnny won't be that yeah, Boca mid table at the moment. But as Mano said you can be fighting for promotion for the first half and fighting relegation for the second half, or as he said, vice versa. Um, yeah. Um, our down there again, aren't they in the danger area? Um, but for me, uh, Dinamo, St. Pauli union uh, will probably make up the top three. I've been a bit bold on predictions this week, aren't I? Um, I'm, I'm going to stick with that. Wow. Yeah. I think a very, fairly decent shot though, but, um, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna pick a game of the week to highlight in Bundesliga two, um, as we always do. I feel that we may just have to go to our guest uh, for this one, um, John. If we look at the fixtures in Bundesliga two next week, uh, is there any that you'd like to highlight for whatever reason? You're asking entirely the wrong person here because um, I am getting to grips with the Bundesliga, let alone the uh, the, the Bundesliga t- uh, two. So. Um, I watched my first game, actually. Um, it was the Bochum versus Sampoli game. Really enjoyed it. A very good game. Um, Bochum were a lot more disappointing than I expected them to be. So I'll blame that on Mr. Walsh himself, who was uh, telling, telling me that they were going to be title contenders this season. Um, I, su- I suppose the Darmstadt-Sampoli game itself may be, may be an interesting one. Uh, the, the team that have gone down and the, and the pretenders to the throne. So I'll go with that one, Darmstadt-Sampoli. Oh, great choice, actually. Good work, John. Uh, Manu, do you want to have a go at stealing Chris's sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> I don't watch Bundesliga 2 these days. I watch uh, 1860 tear up the Regionalliga Bayern. Um, no, <laughs> just, just we, we haven't got enough time to cover those leagues. Oh, it's really too bad. We're five out of six wins, so that's pretty cool. Uh, no, but it's going to be Nuremberg Union for me. I think that's going to be a, a cracker of a game on Sunday. Well, there's my first two choices picked. Well done, lads. Uh, Chris, uh, what's your uh, highlight uh, this week coming in the Bundesliga 2? Well, everything's gone, so I'm going to choose Wednesday night's game, which is Heidenheim against our. Yeah, good choice as well. That was probably my third one. Well done. Um, I'll go for... I'll go for Dusseldorf and Kaiserslautern. Kaiserslautern had a bit of a nightmare start, haven't they? Um, with a, a win and a draw. Let's see if they can pull that round. But that more or less does it for this week. Um, John, uh, we really appreciate you coming on. Uh, what have you got coming up this week? And uh, where can people find you on the likes of Twitter? Well, you can find me on Twitter at 
John underscore Mackenzie. Um, that's John without an H and Mackenzie with an A in it. Um, so in hindsight, not a great name to have been born with when it comes to Twitter. But this week, um, I am doing still my summer break podcast series where I'm running through all the 20 teams in the Premier League. Um, and that final few episodes are coming out this week. You can find that at a team of John O'Shea's uh, podcast. And I've also appeared on Talk Sport on Tom Latcham's show. So I think that that will be doing the rounds at some point. But again, you can find all of this out on my Twitter feed. Very nice. Yeah, guys, definitely follow him on Twitter and check those out. Um, Chris, Manu, have you got anything to uh, to plug this week? If not, we'll wrap it up. Well, we got uh, John. You're you're going to have a Fußballstadt debut as well, don't you? Yeah, I hope to, hope to. I, as I said before, I've I've written a preseason um, preview for 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 Gladbach. So uh, I've looked at the, the the signings they brought in preseason that they had. Uh, I've looked at the tactics a little bit, and I'm going to predict the the sort of strongest starting eleven, the top scorers, the fans' favourites, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So yeah, have a have a check over there at Fußballstadt.com, and hopefully uh, you'll enjoy it. No, that's our plug right there. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. It's great to have him on board, eh? Um, that'll more or less do it. Um, guys, thanks for uh, for coming on and uh, checking out the pod as always. Oh, uh, Vader's in. Ich war seit Wochen auf diesen Tag. Und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt, als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hi, this is Rachel Fisher. And this is Desi Jenikin. And we host the Hollywood Crime Scene Podcast. We're really excited to tell you about the best Christmas ever on AMC Plus, where every day feels like Christmas morning. It's the holiday season, and that means it's time to see old friends like Buddy the Elf, Heat Miser, and Clark Griswold. Plus, you get a stocking stuffed with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men, new series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond. They're all here on AMC Plus. So celebrate the best Christmas ever, anytime, anywhere. AMC Plus is the gift that keeps on giving all year long. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. Imagine if you could dry, detangle, style, and volumize your hair all in one step. Well, it's easy with the Not Doctor All-in-One Dryer Brush by Conair. Create beautiful blowout styles at home with a powerful 1,000-watt motor for quick drying and easy glide Flexalite bristles for snag-free detangling. Customize styling with three heat settings and use the cool shot to lock in your look. Ionic technology reduces frizz. Bonus attachment volumizes your hair. Makes a great gift for yourself or someone special. Go to Conair.com for the Not Doctor All-in-One Dryer Brush now. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.